0: You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. I honestly believe this, that the reason why Jesus hasn't come is because people aren't giving the way he told them to give. See what I'm saying? I mean, when you understand that you can speed up the time. Someone once told me, I heard you were a millionaire. And I said, that's not right. That's not true. I said, multi. Now add that to it and you'll be all right. Oh, he couldn't handle that. I I said, you mess with me and I'll buy this station and fire you. He didn't like that. You know, that was a little fleshy, but it felt good. It just did. I'm hesitant to say this because I'll get all kinds of crazy looks and people will fight me, but I got jewelry that costs more than your house. Those are real words to a large group of people, from a man named uh, Jesse Duplantis that claims to be a preacher, and man of God. It uh, Doesn't mean a church leader should live in the poorhouse, doesn't mean a church leader can't have nice things, doesn't mean that a church leader at times makes more than some people in the congregation, but those words, those words are disgusting, for a man to claim to be a preacher of the gospel and to so arrogantly flaunt money before the congregation. No wonder people can't stand church, no wonder people don't don't trust church leaders. See, the, the biggest money issue in the church is not that people won't give. The biggest money issue in the church is often the leaders that mismanage that money. It starts with leadership. A financially healthy church is led by leaders that love God more than money. A financially healthy church is led by leaders that manage money for an eternal kingdom over temporary kingdoms. And I feel like people, honestly, no one's really said this to my face, but I, I feel like people might want to know why we do a giving series every January. Like, why do you need to hear about money? And the real answer is that we do it every year because I need to hear about it. That I need greed and selfishness ripped from my own heart, that, that preaching is, is not good guys teaching bad guys how to be good guys. That's not what I'm doing. We all fall short. We, we all sin, and as much as I hate the attitude of, of prosperity... Gospel preachers, I have the same capability of falling just like them. We all need to hear and submit to the Word. So as the lead pastor of this church, I need to hear this series every year. It starts with leadership. So before we can even begin to discuss how all Christians should manage our money, which we'll look at this morning, we better look at Christian leaders managing money. I better look at how I manage money. That's where we begin in 1 Timothy 6, where, where, where Paul is challenging Timothy in the faith and then challenging the rich of this present age to manage their finances well. So we'll begin uh, in 1 Timothy 6. If you have a Bible, I'll read out of the ESV, digital Bible, if you have a bulletin. It's all there in your bulletin. Uh, but before we study the main text this morning, let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you when we submit to your word. God, forgive me. God, forgive leaders across this country that think they should teach the word without submitting to it. This is a message first for myself. It starts with leadership. How am I managing money? Father we we come and we just pray that we're honest with ourselves. We're honest with our desire to want more. A desire to look at what a neighbor has and and want what they have. God, we we pray that you would uh, give us understanding of 1 Timothy 6. that it might change Myself and leaders, how we see it and manage finances, that it might change our church. Christians, father followers of Christ, how we see and manage our own finances. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We'll start in 1st Timothy 6, uh, verse 11. And we'll just finish off um, the letter. This morning, so verse 11, it starts like this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which made, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things of Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and the only sovereign the king of kings the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy there to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Timothy, grace be with you. After everything that has transpired in the book of Acts, Paul begins to write this letter around mid-A.D. Uh, or 60 A.D. to a guy that was, uh, min- he was mentoring named Timothy. Timothy, a-, a man with a godly mother, a godly grandmother. You see this in 2 Timothy 1, starting at verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well for this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to warn him and to give advice about how he should be leading this church that is in Ephesus, a church that is, is not just being attacked from the outside, it's being attacked from the inside by false teachers preaching a false gospel. So Paul wants Timothy to protect himself and to hold fast to the true gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul wants Timothy to protect the church from these false ideologies that will literally send people to the pits of hell. It's like, it's, it's that important. It's why Paul begins in verse 11 by using a calling sign that's often reserved for the Old Testament. He tells Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee what? Avoid, like, avoid what? Run run from what? And that answer is found a few verses before where Paul, after speaking about false teachers, is saying this to Timothy, a church leader. This is chapter 6, verse 6. If you have a physical Bible or a digital Bible, you can track along. I think it will be on the screen, but if not, this is verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we'll be content. And those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. It's a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I've heard those kinds of things uh, preached at me my entire life growing up in church. Be content. Like, you didn't bring anything into this world and you're not going to take anything out. If you, have, if you have food and you have clothing, you're doing all right. Don't desire to be rich. Like, don't you realize that the love of money, it's it's the root of all kinds of evil. I've heard those kinds of things preached at me my entire life, but what I didn't hear is that those things are first for the preacher. Paul is telling Timothy to not be like that. So before we even get to the main question in our notes, church leaders and myself better take a long look in the mirror. Like, yeah, I didn't get into ministry to live in poverty, but I didn't get into the ministry to be rich. I got into the ministry to faithfully teach the word. I got into the ministry to proclaim the gospel. So, like, I better watch out. I better be very aware of how tempting it is to desire to be rich I better not love money. It's the root of like so many evil things in this life. I better watch out. I better flee these things. The message is first for leaders which is why I am held and should be held to a higher standard. I must preach the word and the gospel to myself before I ever get up here. Words of church leaders, something we should all glean from this morning. He tells Timothy, flee these things. Don't like don't pursue the riches of this life and pretend like you can handle it. That's not what the text says. The text actually says this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god and we can parse that sentence out and try to find some sort of his hidden historical meaning but it's written to be as ridiculous as it sounds it is easier for a full-sized camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of god if that sounds impossible it's written so it's supposed to sound like that which is why Paul is telling the church leader, Timothy, flee these things. What a, what a strong warning to myself and for us today. Flee these things and, and then pursue these things. He goes on in verse 11. We get a list to Timothy on how we should think, behave. Certainly not a, an exhaustive list, but a list nonetheless. He says this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Meaning it's gonna be a fight. If you're a Christian this morning and it feels like you've you've just been in a battle lately, it's supposed to feel that way. If you aren't fighting for the faith, you aren't keeping the faith. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a battle. So fight, says Paul. Take hold of eternal life. Take hold of the good confession. Take hold of the gospel that has been proclaimed among many witnesses, has been proclaimed even before Pontius Pilate. Why? Like, what's the point of that? I mean, there, I mean if you turn on the news, there's a million things for us to worry about right now. We can be social justice warriors that advocate for thousands of things in our own community. Why is it important for a teenager, a student, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a co-worker, a preacher to hold and protect the gospel? Like, why is that such a big deal? Verses 15 through 16 give us the answer. He who is blessed and only sovereign. He who is king of kings and Lord of lords. He who alone has immortality. He who dwells in unapproachable light. He who no one has seen or can see. He to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It's worth defending the gospel because he is worth it. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy. It's it's worth it in the end because in the end you get God. So, yeah, defend a lot of things. The Bible calls us to do it. But we defend the gospel above all things because simply because He is worthy. So, we have to look at our question and um, our notes this morning and kind of scratch our heads. Like, how the question is, how should we manage our money? What does that even mean? Like, what, is this, what does this have to do about money? Verses 6 through 10, m- money. Verses 11 through 16, gospel. Verses 17 through 19, money. Verses 20 through 21, gospel. Like, did Paul, did he just need a break on this topic of money to discuss Jesus? No, it's the same line of thinking. Meaning, how we think this morning And how we manage our money has serious gospel ramifications. How we manage our money is not our business. It's gospel business. It's that serious. It's life or death. So beginning in verse 17, Paul gives Timothy a charge how all of us should think about and manage our finances. How should we manage our money? Verse 17 says, as for the rich in this present age... All right, good, glad this isn't about me. Glad I'm broke. Glad I got student loan debt. Glad I got some credit card debt that needs taken care of. Like, I, I, I knew this wasn't gonna be a message for me. PhD candidate for Yale University, ran some numbers. This is what he said. The average US resident estimated that the global median individual income is about $20,000 a year. In fact, the real answer is about a tenth of that figure, roughly $2,100 per year. Americans typically place themselves in the top 37% of the world's income distribution. However, the vast majority of U.S. residents rank comfortably in the top 10%. I get it. Most of us don't feel rich, especially when eggs are like $100 a dozen. I I get it. There are people that are in serious poverty in our own community. But in light of what we see globally, many of us, most of us, are rich in this present age. And contrary to Misconceptions of what I mentioned earlier, like there's nothing evil or sinful or wrong about being rich. Being rich is not a sin. Uh, It's just dangerous. Most of us, even if we have a lot of debt, most of us are rich in this present age. And according to the word, that's very dangerous. How should we manage our money? Regardless of what you have in the bank account this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, how should you and I be managing our money according to the word? Let me give you a few things. Here's point one. We manage our money without arrogance. Without arrogance. Continuing in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Simply, whatever we have earned in this life should not lead us down a road of pride or arrogance. A good friend, he told me um, this story. It was about two years ago, a guy in their church, after hearing a sermon on giving, that guy told my friend um, that he was angry, He was mad that he had to sit through that message and that that was his money and he would never give that to anyone. (laughs) As wild as it is, like that's a a real story. It is scary how quickly a little power, a little money can turn a heart into a prideful heart. Like as if it's your power that took you there. As if it was your power that created that wealth. This is Deuteronomy 8. Verse 17, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. We are we're nothing without God. It's in his good grace that he breathed life into your lungs. It's in his good grace that you even have a job. It's in his good grace that, that like he's given you anything. Like, yeah, sure you work hard, but by God's grace. Sure you make some money, but by God's grace, sure you're talented in your field, but only by God's grace. Having a certain amount of money has a tendency of making even the best. Of men and women prideful. And the proud are not promised glory but destruction. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Be careful that you manage your money with humbleness. Like, don't think you're better than someone because you make more than them. Don't think you're better than others because you. You saved when they didn't. Don't think you're better than others because you didn't waste all your money. No friends, pride goes before destruction. If we have like anything in that bank account, it, it's just by God's good grace. If we have anything, let it drive us to humbleness, a trembling of the word. Isaiah 66, two, All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So we, we manage our money without arrogance. Two, how should we manage our money? We manage our money uh, without false hope. Paul goes on to share in the text in verse 17, nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't work. Um, it is our God-given responsibility to work, to make money, to save, to provide. It says this in Genesis 2:15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, Work it and keep it. Now, that's, that's even before sin took over. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command: If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. There are around 7 million American men that are of working age, are capable of getting a job, And they're not even looking. Capable men, above all, should be working hard to provide for their families, not mooching off relatives or their girlfriends. And I realize there are people uh, that have worked hard, like every day of their life, and they still find themselves in poverty. I get it. But the reason why so many people are poor in America right now it's because they're lazy. Proverbs 10.4 A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Capable men, above all, should be working hard to provide for their families. That's a God-given responsibility. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, it says he's denied the faith. It's worse than an unbeliever. And yet, um, things happen in this life we don't expect. You can work hard all your life, build up your savings account, and it can be turned upside down in a phone call. Job layoffs are real, family sickness is real, economic disasters are real. We're we're called to work hard, but you you aren't lazy when life punches you in the face and it turns your finances upside down. Money is, is not our hope and security. So many of us have had to learn that the hard way. Money is temporary and fleeting. I don't know about you, uh, for me finances are, are exhausting, you work hard and then like the grocery bill goes up. You work hard, and you're like, all right, I got it. This all paid off. And then a new medical bill arrives in the mail. For so many of us, it just feels like we can never get ahead. Money is not going to provide the hope that you're looking for. Yeah, it can fix a lot of broken things, but it will not fix the longing of your heart. Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Managing our money well can save us a lot of heartache in this life, and managing our money well can buy a lot of things, but things are temporary. Your car is temporary, your house is temporary, your job is temporary, your health is temporary, the church building is temporary, the church sign it's obviously temporary. We put our hope in something far greater than money and the security that it provides. We put our hope in Christ alone. We like we we manage our money with a hope in Christ. If we have Christ, we have the hope of glory. He has purchased us a security That that no dollar could buy. Three. How do we manage our money? We manage our money with generosity. This past week, um, on the phone with uh, Nell Cates, many of you might not know Nell, but she is a charter member of this church, so she's been here from the beginning, been through it all. Uh, During that conversation, she she shared that many years ago, she had heard uh, that someone uh, that she knew was in need and knew that she could help, and so she did. She used her resources to help someone that that had a need. And as I was uh, walking in the field uh, behind the offices, which is where I get my cardio in and my church phone calls, and maybe you're like, you should probably make More church phone calls. Um, Nell told me, I felt led in my heart to give and meet their need. After all, none of it is mine to begin with. All of it belongs to the Lord. I mean, what what a godly and faithful thing to say. And I realized, like, all of these points, even the points from last week, um, spend our time and we manage our money but in reality like it's not ours to begin with everything we have belongs to the Lord the only question is like how will we manage it and Noah's an example to me this past week of managing that money well for she fulfilled verse 18 to do good to be rich in good works to be generous to be ready to share like the most Greed-killing act of the heart is an act of generosity. I know that like the more money I keep for myself, the more I'm just going to spend it on myself. We manage our money so we can be generous to those in need. We manage our money well, not so we can have some luxurious retirement. We manage our money so we can lavishly give to those that are in need. Acts 20. Verse 35, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Someone uh, in this church told me last year that they judged uh, the health of the church by how well the church gives financially. And they aren't saying that because a giving church is full of a bunch of wealthy families. They're saying that because a giving church is a church that understands the gospel and the act of generosity. So it's not a surprise that as East River Park has grown in its love for Christ and the word, that we've actually seen an increase of financial giving. Like That's not a coincidence. We're called to be generous as the Lord lays needs on our heart, we give generously what we can. Like what, is, what does that practically look like? Um, having grown up in church, you hear a lot of different messages on giving. And I, I maybe as a young guy, like I, you're like, just tell me what you do, you know? Like I just wanna know what does that practically look like? So I try to be every year as transparent as possible. I'll just tell you what it looks like for my family, and if I say it every year, that's all right. We see the local church as the greatest need. So we give um, almost all of our financial giving to East River Park. So I, I get paid, if you didn't know that, I do. Um, <laughs> I get paid twice a month. So uh, I go online and then give to the general fund uh, after each paycheck. Um, we give once a month online to help pay down the debt of this church. Um, That one's actually automatically comes out. We have two missionary families that we support each month. Uh, That money is automatically pulled from the bank account and then it goes to their mission agencies to support them. Um, And then lastly, we try to do random acts of generosity as we're able, buying someone's meal or paying for their coffee. I don't say any of it; definitely don't say any of that to brag, Uh, just to be transparent. I wish we could do far more. We try to increase that financial giving as we pay down debt, but that's just what we are practically doing right now as a family. So I can't answer dollar amounts for you. I I just challenge you from the word. As you manage money, your money, are you doing any good works with it? Are you being generous with it? Are you ready to share it with those that are in need? That's that's a gospel issue. That's an eternity issue. Which is why we get to point four. How should we manage our money? Let me point four. We manage our money with eternity in mind. Um, before I buy anything in my life, I spend an insane amount of time researching it. It does not have to be a big purchase. Uh, a few weeks ago, I spent uh, way too much of my time researching which iPhone case to buy. Um, and I'll read reviews and I'll. Literally, I'll watch YouTube videos on it, and I just, like, I, no, like, nothing makes me more frustrated than spending money and then realizing, like, that wasn't worth it. Verse 19 shows us what's worth it. When we manage our money towards being generous and good works, we are actually purchasing and storing up treasure for an eternal future. So the real prosperity gospel is that when we give toward the gospel mission, we will become rich in eternal glory. We're storing up treasure as a good foundation for an eternal future. When you and I buy into the work of the kingdom of God, it will like always be a, a purchase worth your money. A.W. Tozer, he says it like this, as a base thing as money often is, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. And whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. What a what an awesome promise that changes how we see and manage finances. Simply, eternal eyes create generous hearts. You have these eternal eyes. Like we manage our money with eternity in mind. Several years ago, um, my friend and I were we were on his parents' farm and he had this old dirt bike that he told me, Jason, this is really fun to ride, Um, which was a lie. And I had never been on a motorcycle dirt bike in my life, so he tried to explain how all of this worked, uh, giving me some tips on how I would not flip this bike over. And he showed me how to ease on the gas while releasing the clutch. He showed me where to put my leg so it wouldn't be burned because I was wearing shorts. Flip flops, not the greatest idea. And he showed me which brake to hit when I was ready to stop. And so, I got on, drove about 50 feet into this cornfield, freaked out, and fell off. Um, and I, like, I hated that feeling. It was. I know some people were like, "You're insane. That's awesome." Um, I hated that feeling. I like, I refused to get past this feeling of not being in control. Like, I felt like I was out of control the entire time I was on this bike. And the truth is, many of us feel that, like, we just feel that way about life and our own finances. Things feel out of control. Tired of trying to get a hold of our life, and it's just still a mess. Tired to try to get a hold of our money, it's still upside down, and it's so easy to look at our own life the things around us feels like it's falling apart like yeah we're we're talking about money but it's i mean sometimes it feels like you can barely manage your life for the day what encouragement would we have in this and the encouragement is that we're trying to take a hold of the wrong thing For life will always feel out of control when you're trying to hold tightly to what is temporary. Paul shares at the end of verse 19 so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, never leave you nor forsake you. We take hold of Christ, which is truly life. We take hold of Christ Jesus. He's just never gonna portray you like money will. Christ Jesus will never run out, for he will always satisfy, for he's, I mean, he's the greatest treasure. Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul's words, whatever gain I had, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might might know him. The power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We manage our money well because we worship Christ. Like, he's our greatest treasure. He's the surpassing worth. He's truly life. That's why, uh, summary point, Worship is rooted in how we manage our money. If you have any questions about the text, or um, I know we'll discuss more behind the message this week on the podcast, but any questions you might have about the passage, or give your life to Christ, or just confess, just want someone to pray over you, we'd love to do that. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll sing a last song to close. God, we're thankful um, for your word, thankful for the truth that it gives, and just knowing doing this a third year in a row, um, it always f- feels heavier than I realized. Um, God, no one at times wants to talk about issues, and maybe it just feels a little too personal, but God, we want to teach the full counsel of the word. We don't always teach, so we feel good. And I, I pray for conviction for myself. That I love an eternal kingdom far greater than some temporary kingdoms. And I, I pray for myself and the church that when we we manage our finances in light of eternity. That whatever we invest in Christ is worth it all. So I'm thankful for the challenge from the Word, for the encouragement of the Word. Pray these things in your Son's name.